What's up, podcast? Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speaker Podcast. Today's episode is pretty cool. I really liked this TED Talk <clears throat> for a lot of reasons. Uh, if you haven't checked out the actual video, I would definitely recommend checking it out um, because it's a really good talk. So this is by an American politician named Stacey Abrams, uh, and the talk is called Three Questions to Ask Yourself Before You Do Anything. And I think the talk does a really good job transitioning from a personal experience into a larger message and weaving in tons of little examples that are personal to Stacey to prove the point of her larger message. And there's also a lot of humor involved in it, which makes it just an overall fantastic talk. Um, I think the body movement was amazing. I think the inflection is amazing. The speed and rate of her voice that goes up and down with the tone of the message she's trying to communicate is also pretty fantastic. So uh, if you're definitely just looking for some good public speeches or looking for good analysis on public speeches, this speech is definitely one that you want to try. Now, Stacey is a politician, right? And politicians generally should be good public speakers because they're usually speaking to the public, right? They're serving the public. That's kind of their job. Um, but Stacey, I think, takes it to another level. She's one of those speakers that actually captivates your attention, right? She's not one of those politicians that sounds like a politician, but she's coming from a social location and personal experience that puts her in the feet of someone who has experienced what a lot of people have experienced, so she's able to just communicate it without having to uh, fake like she's going through some experience or without having to make up some type of narrative about herself. Um, so overall, I really enjoyed the speech. I hope you like the speech analysis, and yeah, let's get into it. When I was in high school at the age of 17, I graduated from high school in Decatur, Georgia as valedictorian of my high school. So immediately we see that the speech is starting off with a personal experience. Um, so this is going to be told in some type of story format uh, from her own personal narratives and, and experiences that she's had. In this case, it's about high school and being valedictorian. That personal experience is very, very important because it will then begin to frame the rest of the message and purpose of the speech that, or of the message that she's going to be trying to communicate. Very proud of myself. Um, I was from a low-income community. I'd grown up in Mississippi. We'd moved from Mississippi to Georgia so my parents could pursue J their uh, degrees as United Methodist ministers. We were poor, but they didn't think we were poor enough, so they were going for permanent poverty. <laughs> and so while they studied at Emory, I studied at Avondale, and I became valedictorian. Well, one of the joys of being valedictorian in the state of Georgia is that you get invited to meet the governor of Georgia. I was mildly interested in meeting him. Um, it was kind of cool. I was more intrigued by the fact that he lived in a mansion uh, because I watched a lot of General Hospital and Dynasty as a child. So this is obviously a funny joke, uh, gets the audience engaged. Uh, within the first minute, she already has the audience laughing. She's telling a joke about something that the audience can probably relate to, which is that you're more interested in the mansion versus the person because of a TV show. So already she's setting the ethos, which is her credibility in the speech to get the audience to start caring more and, and captivating their attention to listen to the rest of the speech. And so I got up that morning ready to go to visit the governor, my mom and my dad, who were also invited, got up and we went outside, but we didn't get in our car. And in the South, a car is a necessary thing. We don't have a lot of public transit. There aren't a lot of options. But if you're lucky enough to live in a community where you don't have a car, the only option is public transit. And that's what we had to take. And so we got on the bus and we took the bus from Decatur all the way to Buckhead, 
where the governor's mansion sat on this really beautiful acreage of land, with these long black gates that ran the length of the property. We get to the governor's mansion, we pull the little lever that lets them know this is our stop. We get off the bus. My mom, my dad, and I, we walk across the street and we walk up the driveway because there are cars coming up, cars bringing in students from all across the state of Georgia. And so we're walking along the side. And as we walk single file along the side, my mom and dad sandwiching me to make sure I don't get hit by one of the cars, bringing in the other valedictorians, we approach the guard gate. And we get to the guard gate, the guard comes out and he looks at me and he looks at my parents and he says, you don't belong here, this is a private event. My dad says, no, this is my daughter, Stacy. She's one of the valedictorians. But the guard doesn't look at the checklist that's in his hands. He doesn't ask my mom for the invitation that's at the bottom of her very voluminous purse. Instead, he looks over our shoulder at the bus because in his mind, the bus is telling him a story about who should be there. And the fact that we were too poor to have our own car, that was a story he told himself. And he may have seen something in my skin color, he may have seen something in my attire, I don't know what went through his mind, but his conclusion was to look at me again and with a look of disdain say, I told you, this is a private event. You don't belong here. So here we're getting into the depths of the personal narrative that she's talking about. We're going a lot deeper into the experience that she had with discrimination and how that ultimately will play a factor in, in the rest of the message that she's gonna be trying to communicate. But even the adjectives like voluminous purse, really good descriptive imagery to get the audience to visualize what this altercation could have potentially looked like uh, and how it would have impacted her, especially at a young age. Now, my parents were studying to become United Methodist ministers, but they were not pastors yet. <laughs> and so they proceeded to engage this gentleman in a very robust discussion of his decision-making skills. <laughs> My father may have mentioned that he was going to spend eternity in a very fiery place if he didn't find my name on that checklist. And indeed, the man checked the checklist eventually, and he found my name and he let us inside. But I don't remember meeting the governor of Georgia. I don't recall meeting my fellow valedictorians from 180 school districts. The only clear memory I have of that day was a man standing in front of the most powerful place in Georgia, looking at me and telling me I don't belong. And so I decided 20 some odd years later to be the person who got to open the gates. So this is a really cool metaphor she's using now in terms of the experience that she had when she was probably like 16, 17 towards what her experience now was later uh, in terms of being able to be the catalyst for change, which is eventually what the talk is probably going to get into. Unfortunately, you may have read the rest of the story, it didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> and now I'm tasked with figuring out how do I move forward? Because you see, I didn't wanna just open the gates for young black women who had been underestimated and told they don't belong. I wanted to open those gates for Latinas and for Asian Americans. I wanted to open those gates for the undocumented and the documented. I wanted to open those gates as an ally of the LGBTQ community. I wanted to open those gates for the families that have to call themselves the victims of gun violence. I wanted to open those gates wide for everyone in Georgia because that is our state and this is our nation and we all belong here. So one of the tactics she was using there in terms of public speaking was 
uh, a listing sentence, so naming multiple different disenfranchised identities that she is trying to help in a very fast way. So the rate of her voice kept going quickly and quickly when she was talking about this and this and this and that. And then as she comes to an end, she pauses when she concludes that everyone in Georgia should have access to those opportunities. And that pause forces the audience to clap. Now the audience does not have to clap, right? They're, they're not being forced to clap for that, but the impact of the speed at which she named all these groups and then concluded to what all those groups um, symbolize, which is the inclusivity of everyone in the state of Georgia, triggered an emotional response by the audience, which forced them to clap because they thought what she said was meaningful and emotional. Uh, the pause there is very important because that gives the audience to internalize what was just said and then make the conscious decision of if they want to clap for that or not. And usually when a couple people start clapping, the entire room will start clapping because they will be so impacted, or at least the majority of people will be so impacted by what was said. But what I recognize is that the first try wasn't enough. And my question became, how do I move forward? How do I get beyond the bitterness and the sadness and the lethargy and watching an inordinate amount of television as I eat ice cream. <laughs> what do I do next? And I'm gonna do what I've always done. I'm gonna move forward because going backwards isn't an option and standing still is not enough. You see, I began my race for governor by analyzing who I was and what I wanted to be. And there are three questions I ask myself about everything I do, whether it's running for office or starting a business, when I decided to start the New Georgia Project to register people to vote, or when I started the latest action, Fair Fight Georgia. No matter what I do, I ask myself three questions. What do I want? Why do I want it? And how do I get it? So here are the three questions that are gonna frame the entirety of the speech. What do I want? Uh, why do I want it? And how do I get it? And these three questions will then most likely be used to assemble the rest of the speech, which we'll be going through, I'm not sure what she's going to talk about, but probably examples um, in which those questions answer, or those questions pose questions and then are able to be answered because the question is the right question to answer. And in this case, I know what I want. I want change. That is what I want, but the question is, what change do I want to see? And I know that the questions I have to ask myself are one, am I honest about the scope of my ambition? Because it's easy to figure out that once you didn't get what you wanted, that maybe you should have set your sights a little lower, but I'm here to tell you to be aggressive about your ambition. Do not allow setbacks to set you back. Number two, let yourself understand your mistakes, but also understand their mistakes. Because as women in particular, we're taught that if something doesn't work out, it's probably our fault. And usually there is something we could do better, but we've been told not to investigate too much what the other side could have done. And this isn't partisan, it's people. We're too often told that our mistakes are ours alone, but victory is a shared benefit. And so what I tell you to do is understand your mistakes, but understand the mistakes of others and be clear-headed about it, and be honest with yourself and honest with those who support you. But once you know what you want, understand why you want it, 
And even though it feels good, revenge is not a good reason. <laughs> so that's a quick funny joke uh, interjecting in towards what you want. And it's little moments like that, right, that make the speech really valuable, like give it a lot of ethos and, and emphasis. So that, those are little things you want to try to implement. Because um, I'm pretty sure that was a plan, right? She didn't just randomly think of revenge is not going to be funny. Um, she thought of this when she was planning out her speech and thought this might be a moment that I can get the audience to laugh, which is why she's also smiling, which uh, is an emotional reaction from her that is probably going to get the audience to smile and then potentially laugh. All of this stuff is calculated, right? Sometimes it's, it's in the moment and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's beautiful like that, but a lot of times it, it's figured out beforehand and implemented and executed in a way that will work, right? At least for the, for the, for the best public speakers. <laughs> Instead, make sure you want it because there's something not that you should do, but something you must do. It has to be something that doesn't allow you to sleep at night unless you're dreaming about it. Something that wakes you up in the morning and gets you excited about it. Or something that makes you so angry you know you have to do something about it. But know why you're doing it. And know why it must be done. You've listened to women from across this world talk about why things have to happen. But figure out what the why is for you. Because jumping from the what to the do is meaningless if you don't know why. Because when it gets hard, when it gets tough, when your friends walk away from you, when your supporters forget you, when you don't win your first race, if you don't know why, you can't try again. So first, know what you want. Second, know why you want it. But third, know how you're gonna get it done. I faced a few obstacles in this race. <laughs> Just a few. But in the pursuit, I became the first black woman to ever become the nominee for governor in the history of the United States of America for a major party. But more importantly, in this process, we turned out 1.2 million African-American voters in Georgia. That is more voters than voted on the Democratic side of the ticket in 2014. Our campaign tripled the number of Latinos who believed their voices mattered in the state of Georgia. We tripled the number of Asian Americans who stood up and said, this is our state too. Those are successes that tell me how I can get it done. But they also let me understand that the obstacles aren't insurmountable. They're just a little high. But I also understand that there are three things that always hold us hostage. The first is finances. Now, you may have heard I'm in a little bit of debt. If you didn't hear about it, you did not go outside. <laughs> so here's a funny joke, right? Saying that obviously the mainstream media has covered that she's in debt. So if you didn't hear about it, you probably didn't know anything about it. Again, maybe a joke that was on the spot, maybe a joke that was timed, but still a good effective uh, use of humor for the audience. And finances are something that holds us back so often. Our dreams are bounded by how much we have in resources. But we hear again and again the stories of those who overcome those resources, those resource challenges. But you can't overcome something you don't talk about. And that's why I didn't allow them to debt shame me in my campaign. I didn't allow anyone to tell me that my lack of opportunity was a reason to disqualify me from running. And believe me, people tried to tell me I shouldn't run. Friends told me not to run. Allies told me not to run. The USA Today mentioned maybe I shouldn't run. <laughs> 
But no matter who it was, I understood that finances are often a reason we don't let ourselves dream. I can't say that you will always overcome those obstacles, but I will tell you, you will be damned if you do not try. The second is fear, and fear is real. It is paralyzing, it is terrifying, but it can also be energizing. Because once you know what you're afraid of, you can figure out how to get around it. And the third is fatigue. Sometimes you just get tired of trying. You get tired of reading about processes and politics and the things that stop you from getting where you wanna be. Sometimes fatigue means that we accept position instead of power. We let someone give us a title as a consolation prize rather than realizing we know what we want and we're going to get it even if we're tired. That's why God created naps. <laughs> but we also learn in those moments that fatigue is an opportunity to evaluate how much we want it. Because if you are beaten down, if you have worked as hard as you can, if you have done everything you said you should and it still doesn't work out, fatigue can sap you of your energy. But that's why you go back to the why of it. Because I know we have to have women who speak for the voiceless. I know we have to have people of good conscience who stand up against oppression. I know we have to have people who understand that social justice belongs to us all. And that wakes me up every morning and that makes me fight even harder. Because I am moving forward knowing what is in my path. I know the obstacles they have for me. I know what they're going to do and I'm fairly certain they're energizing and creating new obstacles now. But they've got four years to figure it out. Maybe, maybe two, but, but, here, but here's my point. I know what I want and that is justice. I know why I want it because poverty is immoral and it is a stain on our nation. And I know how I'm going to get it by moving forward every single day. Thank you so much. So that was a really cool ending to the speech. Um, that was three questions to ask yourself about everything you do by Stacey Abrams. The ending of it was super emotional, right? She gets a standing ovation and it's, it's really cool because there is a personal narrative introduced at the beginning. It, it takes you along the speech. We see the problem that exists, the discrimination that she faced, then brings up the questions of, okay, I have this experience. What are the three questions I need to answer in order to be able to move my life forward that change the experience I had to make sure that that experience is not similar to people who are like me um, from my same location. And then that gets into the meat of the speech, which is where she talks about fear and, and sort of not letting uh, anyone else tell you what you can or can't do and evaluating your own mistakes and being becoming introspective. All these very general sort of philosophical messages that are encompassed within the, the umbrella of these three questions that are a direct springboard off of the personal experience. Uh, and that's how this public speech to me was structured and delivered pretty effectively. So I thought this was a great speech. I thought the hand movement was awesome. I thought the walking back and forth, the humor, inflection, this was an overall pretty awesome public speech. So thank you guys for watching. Leave a speech below that you want me to analyze if I haven't done it on this channel yet and I'll probably analyze it and uh, give you my guys my thoughts. But yeah, thank you guys for watching. I will see you in the next speech analysis. Bye.